thank you. Um, yeah, this was a last-minute decision that I was going to speak by myself this morning. And, and as for those of you that know me, it's not like I didn't jump for joy. <laughs> but I said to, to Joey last night, God's always showed up for me. So he's going to show up this morning. Even, even in our grief, God is going to show up. So, um, yeah, so I get to conclude our You Plus Me Equals We series. And I would not say that I'm an expert on marriage. I have been married for almost 22 years and have raised three or raised one is still raising two of my kids. And, um, God has been so faithful to Joey and I, and we have not had a perfect marriage. Um, there have been really, really hard and dark moments in our marriage, but then there have been moments where we have seen God show up. We've seen him, um, challenge us to be better for each other. And, um, yeah, I just feel so blessed that I've, I've been married for that long, and why we haven't killed each other. <laughs> There's been lots of moments, but um, yeah, and I just feel so honored that he trusts me to speak this morning all by myself. So I have an amazing husband who's not perfect, but he's amazing, um, and he loves me well, so, and he encourages me well, so um, so we've talked about marriages for the last, relationships for the last two weeks. So the first week we talked about pursuing our two, that God needs to be our one, and then our spouses are two. And then last week we talked about conflict. And I know that when Joey and I are up here talking, it is a little bit of a comedy show. So today we're going to be a little more serious. Okay. No, nobody's laughing. You guys laugh at us like all the time when we're up here. <laughs> I will be more serious. But we're going to start out being funny, okay? So look, we're going to talk a little bit about some relationship killers. And we all have this, this idea of what relationships look like or what we think they should look like or what we've seen on TV, what we see on social media, what we hear in the, you know, in the, the, the newest love song. Um, but one of the places I think a lot of us have gotten our ideas about relationships is from Disney movies. Come on, like my family loves Disney, grew up on Disney movies. You know, the, 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 um, the OG would be Cinderella, right? So, but think about it. Cinderella talks to animals. She hallucinates a fairy godmother. She takes a pumpkin as a carriage to the ball. You think she might be a little crazy? And we're, we're you know, we all want to be, all, all, when you're a little girl, you want to be Cinderella. And then there's Prince Charming, which, you know, Prince Charming's handsome, and he's a prince, and so you think he has everything, but um, he's a little self-absorbed. If you notice, he never asks what her name is. He can't even recognize her when she wears a different outfit. So he meets her wearing one outfit, and then he meets her again, and he doesn't know who she is. And he likes women's shoes. So maybe not somebody we should model our life of after a husband. Then you have Ariel, who, you know, is probably like 16 in the movie. And she stalks her crush from under the sea. She, um, her parents try to set boundaries to say, no, you're not living on, you're, you, you don't have legs, you're not living on earth, you're, you're, under, you're a mermaid, you live under the sea. And she runs away. Then you have Aladdin. You got to love some Aladdin and Jasmine, a whole new world, come on. Like if you're a, if you're, <laughs> if you were, um, you know, born in the 80s, like that was like the movie, the, the love story, Aladdin and Jasmine. But Aladdin was a con artist. He was a thief. 
He lied to, to his friends. He lied to the prince, to Jasmine, the princess, just to get into, to, be, to, to have a life as a prince. And then my favorite would be Belle and the Beast. It's my favorite Disney movie. I love that story. I mean, I can't go watch the show it at um, Hollywood Studios without crying at the end when she falls in love with the beast and he becomes the prince. But still, she fell in love with the beast. He had control issues. He kidnapped her father. He wanted to kill her father. And then you have Belle, who has lowered her expectations so low that she's willing to fall in love with the beast. Like, she's willing to fall in love with somebody that's not even human. So, you know, we've taken our, we have taken our, our view, and it's so distorted. Like, we're not, we, we don't look at things with, with, in reality, what they really are, with what, <laughs> with pe who, who people truly, who God has created them truly to be. He didn't create every man to be Prince Charming, and we're thankful for that. So, you know, we know that we will never have a healthy marriage until we are until we take responsibility responsibility for becoming healthy individuals. So you cannot have a healthy marriage with two broken people. The two people have to work towards healing, and then you can have a healthy marriage. We can't say fix this, fix this marriage, fix this marriage when we're unwilling to fix ourselves and look at the things that we are struggling with. So God desires for us to have a healthy relationship, for us to have a healthy marriage, for it to thrive, for it to be, I've heard this before, that our marriages are designed to be signs and wonders to the world. Like your love for each other is, God has designed it to be a sign and a wonder to the world for them to ask what is different about them. Like how do they love each other that way and, and, and then in return, all you can say is it's just God. The reason we can love each other is because of God. So today we're going to talk about the seven deadly sins of relationships. All right, and, and there's seven of them, so we're going to move pretty quickly. So take notes, write them down. At the very end, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you can apply them to your life. So even if you're single, write these down. You can work on them now. This, this does not even just apply to a marriage relationships. It also applies to just, you know, a friendship or a, a parent-child relationship, a sibling relationship. It's not just marriage. So number one, the number one, number one, the first one we're talking about with the seven deadly sins of a relationship is selfishness. So we all battle with selfishness. It's just the reality. We all want things our way. We want, in our time, we want it to benefit us. And rarely do we wake up in the morning and say, the first thing we think of is somebody else. And the saddest part is we rarely wake up in the morning to think about the person laying next to us. We think about ourselves, what we need to get done in the day, what we most desire for the day, what our goals are for the day. We don't ever think, oh, I wonder what that person wants to accomplish today. It's always usually just about ourselves. So we are selfish people. We pick our desires. We pick our wants. We pick our feelings over everyone else most of the time, unless you, like, unless you consciously do not do that. We just need to, we, we, we have convinced ourselves that we need to look out for ourselves. That if we don't look out for ourselves, nobody else is going to. If we want something, we have to go for it. No one else is going to do it for us. And that's not a Christ-like attitude. When, when you walk in selfishness, you're, 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 you're like you have this choice every morning. I'm going to pick up selfishness or I'm going to pick up selflessness. And so you have to, every morning have to make that choice. Am I going to be selfish? And it might be selfless. And it is a conscious decision you have to make. 
if you don't make the decision, you, you will automatically just pick up selfishness because that's what we're, we're bent towards. So write this down. Selfishness is a sickness that must be radically removed for any relationship to survive. And it's so simple. From the shows you watch <laughs> to your hobbies to how you spend your time to where you vacation to how you raise your kids to the like everything if we're not careful everything in our life can become like we can we can choose it out of selfishness if we're not conscious about it so how do we um overcome selfishness let's read this verse philippians 2 3 through 5 says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourself not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. So in this verse, you know, we have selfishness and then the mindset of Christ is selflessness. So the answer, how, we, how do we overcome selfishness? You know, ultimately we put on the mind of Christ, but, it, but in our terms, an easy thing for you to understand is you serve others. So we overcome selfishness by serving others. The more we serve one another, the more we can see a relationship grow. And I don't, I don't mean by serving, by ta- I, don't, I, I don't mean like getting taken advantage of, doing like all the dirty work and being like, well, I'm just their servant. I just, it's, it's actually acknowledging that they have needs. And sometimes their needs can be valued more than yours. There's some moments that, that, that one of you needs a little bit of extra. You need a little bit of extra attention. You need a little bit of extra prayer. You need a little bit of extra um, comfort. You know, like just acknowledging that you might, that other person might need something. So one thing, and I, I said this last service, Joey is really good about doing this with me. We can have a, a fight. We can argue. You know, we can make up and then you know, usually the next day or the ne- within the next couple of days, he's always asking me, how can I serve you? Like, what do you need from me today? And it's not, it's never like, well, I need you to pick up the kids. I need you to make dinner. I need you to do the dishes. I need, it's, it's usually, I, I usually don't have anything. <laughs> I usually don't have a list. I usually just, honestly, that, that question can really diffuse a lot of walls and emotions. Like if when somebody comes and says, how can I serve you? It's, it's almost like, I see you, I see that you're hurting, I see that you're frustrated, how can I be there for you? So that's an easy question to ask. Um, how can I make life easier for you today? And maybe sometimes it is as simple as, hey, like, I'm just stressed, could you pick up the kids? I'm stressed, could you go pick up dinner on the way home? Or, I'm really tired. Can I, can you play, do, do something, take the kids so I can take a nap? Like that goes both ways. That's a great way to serve one another. Um, the second one, I said we're going to go quickly, so make sure you're writing these down, is unrealistic expectations. And we, and it's just, it's kind of unavoidable. We live in a world with unrealistic expectations because we look at the world all around us and we see something that we're not getting. We see people living a way, a way that we're thinking, well, why don't we, get, why don't we get that? Like, why did they get to go there? Why, why did they get that opportunity? Like, we, we, we compare and have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on, people, on ourselves and our relationships and the people in our life all the time. And relationships that look perfect in the world are most likely not perfect. They are fake. 
You have to understand you are seen. And we talk about this all the time. Come on, guys. We live in a social media world. It's, this isn't news to all of us. But I don't think we, I, I think we know it. We just don't believe it. That when people post something or they say something, they're showing you this tiny little amount of time. And they're not showing you what happened behind the camera or, you know, on the other side of the room or what happened five minutes before, you know, the picture was taken or what happened after. Like, I, we have a fun, I mean, family pictures, for an example. Joey's actually used this, this um, illustration before, so some of you have probably heard it. Um, when our kids, when our twins were probably like four or five, we went to get family pictures and Layla had yellow leggings on and we get to the park and she literally just like slid down a hill so she yellow leggings on and her legs were legs were covered in mud well we were smart so we took her leggings off we turned them inside out and we made her wear her leggings inside out you couldn't even tell that there was mud on but you see that family picture you would never know the drama that happened before that picture was taken there was probably a lot of screaming and a lot of tears and a lot of attitude but we have a beautiful family picture and Layla and you cannot tell at all that Layla's leggings are covered in mud so again you would never know that and you got to realize that in most people's lives you do not know they're behind the scenes you only know you only know what they're allowing you to see and most of us only allow people to see the good stuff so unrealistic unrealistic expectations so um a lot with Joey we talked about this last week when people come to us and say, oh, we never fight. Or, you know, you're not even married yet. We don't, there's nothing we would ever fight about. And you spend five minutes with them and you're like, okay, I can tell you five things that you're going to fight about and, and that you probably need to work on before you actually get married because it's going to be an issue. But they're, you know, they're, they're living in unrealistic expectations. But here's, here are a few expectations that we put on ourselves when we get married. So the first one, and some of them are funny, so just listen to me this, and think about some of the things you, you think in your own life. Um, the house is always going to be clean when I get home. Well, the reality is at least you can see the floor. So, <laughs> you know, especially when you have kids or you have two working parents, like it is not easy to keep a house clean. Now, people come to my house and they say, April, your house is so clean. Okay, my house might be put away, but I'm not like you probably pull some things out, like maybe a refrigerator or an oven or a couch, and there's probably going to be a lot of stuff under, under that stuff. So just because it looks clean doesn't mean it is clean. You're not, you're not seeing the behind. Like literally, I walked past my son's, my son's share room. They just got a new bed. I walked past the room the other day, and there's soda cans all underneath the bed. I'm like, how do we get soda cans underneath the, under, underneath the bed? Like, it's, it looks clean, but there's soda cans under the bed. There's socks underneath my couch. I, I know that there's a pair of socks under my couch right now. I just can't reach them. <laughs> but you would never know that unless you sit on my floor and look under my couch. Um, all right, this is another one. An expectation, especially when you're newly married, that you're going to have sex every night. So, <laughs> I, love, I love hearing the comments after I say that. Like, that's just not reality, especially when you actually start living life. Like, okay, maybe you're on a honeymoon for a while, but then you got to come back to reality and you have a job. Then you start having kids. And it, it's just, it's, it's, it's reality. Like, that is an unrealistic expectation. Another one is that we are going to have perfect kids. Our kids are not going to, they're not going to argue with us. They're not going to throw tantrums. 
They're never going to backtalk to anyone. They're going, you know, all these things that we can convince ourselves of. And I think sometimes even as spouses, we can put that on each other. Like, I expect you, like, especially sometimes with you, when you, um, husbands to wives, like, I expect you to make sure the kids are well-behaved. And then even wives to husbands, like, I expect you to be the disciplinary. Like, that's just, those are unrealistic expectations. Nobody is perfect. And honestly, sometimes when we think about our kids, we're like, you know, we, we have this expectation of them, and then it's like, okay, can we return them? Like, is there another, can I get a refund? Like, I gotta buy one, get one free. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if everybody gets that. I have twins. I don't think people thought that was funny. <laughs> I have twins. I got to buy one, get one free. Uh, but they're perfect. Layla just likes to roll in the mud. Um, so, so, so James, James 4, chapter 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is, is it not this? And as, So listen to this. So there, James is not saying here that our fights and quarrels among us are happening from these outside things happening to us. It is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And that, that, that um, I mean, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. I know, I know that, mur like, but just think about it. Like, we desire things so much, and then we don't get them, and so we're angry. We covet and we cannot get it. It's like we want it, but we cannot get it. So we just, we, we lash out at the people around us. And then think about this. You do not have because you do not ask. So maybe there are some expectations in your life that you're just not voicing to the people in your life. Maybe you've created this expectation and it's causing these issues in your relationship because you are unwilling to look at that person and say, hey, I need this. Or I desire this. So, some of our top unrealistic expectations. Write these down. These are good. My spouse is responsible for my happiness. And I think too many times we live in a world where we think my spouse is going to complete me. And I'm going to meet someone and we're going to fall in love and we're going to get married. And then we are going to be so happy. Like once we get married, we're going to be happy. Like that's not going to happen. That person wasn't designed to complete you. That person was designed to complement you, but they were not designed to complete you. Your completion comes through the finished work on the cross through Jesus Christ. So if, you need to, if, if you're looking for happiness and to be complete, to feel this completeness, that comes through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then in a marriage, you can compliment one each other. You can compliment each other. We're, we cannot look to another person who can't even control their own happiness to give us happiness. So my spouse knows my motives and my thoughts. And I know all you men are like, amen. My spouse thinks I know everything they're thinking. I, 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 I agree. We'll give you that one. But <laughs> I think that women, we also don't understand what you're thinking either. Like, I know that it's, it's so much, it's usually like a husband to wife, like, I don't know what she's thinking and she can't explain herself and she talks in circles and but, but newsflash, so do you. Like, you have feelings, and men, you have feelings and emotions, and you have needs. And I, I'm talking about needs to be the provider, needs to be, needs to be the leader, needs, to, needs that you need to be the hero. 
that we don't always understand why you're responding to a certain way if we don't understand that deep desire in your heart. So it, it goes both ways. We just don't always understand each other's motives and thoughts, and sometimes we just need to ask questions. Okay, my spouse and I can solve any problem. And for those of you that have been married for longer than a month, you realize that you can't figure out a lot of things, just you two. Like you go on your honeymoon and you get lost. Like you still need the GPS to get you there. Like it's not, okay, all right, all right honey, let's go. We can conquer the world. Like, no, there, there are other tools that are helping you get to where you need to get, just like a GPS in your car. And honestly, you need God in the middle of your relationship. You need God, but you also need godly people. And so I would say if, if you're... If you are facing something right now, like if, you're, if there's a problem in your marriage and you're like, we are just not overcoming this. Like we're talking in circles and maybe you're not arguing and maybe you're not at each other, but you know that there's just something that's not right. Like you need to talk to someone. That's why you have pastors. That's why you have mentors. That's why God gave us counselors. We have to see the people that can help us process what we need to process and process it in a healthy way. Like almost like sometimes we just need a mediator that can help us both hear each other better. Um, so I'm going to plug the what couples one day. I know Joey already talked about it, but you need to be at the couples one day at the couples one day. Not only are you going to get tools that are going to equip, equip you and challenge you. You're going to meet other people who are either in the same stage of life that you are in that are maybe walking through some of the same things, or they are steps ahead of you. And you need them as a mentor in your life. So sign up for the couples one day. Like, it's going to be a blast. Get there. We overcome unrealistic expectations by recognizing, you need to write this down because this is really good. This will really put things in a lot of perspective for you. Put a lot of things in perspective for you. We overcome unrealistic expectations by recognizing the limited nature of humans and then acknowledging the limitless nature of God. So we have, a, we have an expectation on someone in our life, our spouse. Like, they can, only, they can only meet it to a certain degree. They are not God. They can only offer you so much. They can, and, but God, if you, if, if you replace your expectation of that person with, with the power, the limitless nature of God, like, God's going to show up. God's going to, there's so many scenarios within your marriage and your family where it's like, all right, we can't figure this out. Like, either, like, we got to make more money. We don't know, you know, where, I know this is a big one for a lot of people. Like, where are we going to send our kids to school? Like, how is God going to provide there? Or a, a job? Like, do we, need, do we need to move? Are we making the right move? Like, there are so many areas that we think, okay, we'll just, we'll just, we'll be together on the decision. And, and we leave out the power of what God wants to bring into our relationship that if we rely on him, he's going to show up. Like there is not one moment in my life that I can, I can remember where I haven't said, okay, God, I'm taking a step. And he didn't take a step, another step towards me. Like God is, you take a step, God's going to take a step. That, and <laughs> it's not like my, I take a step with my spouse and they'll take, like, no, God's got to be the one that we're taking those steps with. So the third one is secrecy. Like I said, I'm going to go through these quickly. So so write them down. Um, so God created us to have one person that we can be totally vulnerable with. And I would say secrecy is probably one of the 
most toxic things for a relationship. If you're not being totally vulnerable and honest with each other. And, and there's so many different ways that this can go. Like, there's, there's so many different things you can keep a secret that can be um, damaging to your marriage. So Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And we understand that they, did, they didn't have clothes on and it didn't matter to them. But also goes to the point where they knew everything about each other. And there was no shame in it. Whether, whether or not, and again, I understand they did not live in a sinful world. So them ha- being vulnerable with each other, there was really shame wasn't even part of the world yet. But that's, God still desires that for our relationships. That when we share with one another that there isn't condemnation, there isn't shame, there isn't guilt put on us. And we don't put it on ourselves, but we also don't put it on each other. That we understand that should be a safe place where things are shared. You know, um, in our series last month, our series Yes, Joey talked about if there was more confession of temptation, there would be less confession of sin. So think about the places in your life where you, you've struggled and, and then it, you've cro- you crossed the line and, it, and you stepped into sin. Think about if you would have been able to share with the person in your life that you should be the most vulnerable with, that, hey, I'm struggling. I, I'm, there's, a, there's a struggle in my life. I do, can't do it on my own. I need you to pray for me. I need you to hold me accountable. How much, how much less heartache you would have in your relationship if we could actually confess our, 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 our temptation to one another. Secrets don't protect a relationship. They sabotage it. Ephesians 5, 11 through 12 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So we overcome secrecy by being vulnerable. And I understand vulnerable is, vulnerability is, is, some, is a hard thing for a lot of us. We were not, we were, a lot of us were not raised in an environment where being vulnerable was, was a, a good thing. It was seen as, sometimes it was seen as being weak. Or, or we have made weakness the same as vulnerability. And it's just not the same thing. You know, maybe you were told as a kid, get over it, stop crying, don't be a crybaby, it's not that big of a deal, stop letting those people hurt you. Stop, you know, like, messages like that, and you're like, there's all this shame that's brought up, like, well, why am I, why did that bother me? Why am I hurt? Like, I can't tell anybody that that hurt me. It was, I'll look weak. And really, it's just vulnerability. Just being, and being vulnerable appropriately with the right people in your life. So confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. The Bible says we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to relationships for healing. So if if you need to share something with your spouse, I guarantee God is going to show up and there's going to be healing. If you are just honest and share it. Number four is negative speech. And we're going to sit here just for a little bit because I think this is probably one of the, um, one that probably most of us struggle with the most is just changing the way that we talk. The words that we speak can either build or break our relationships. And we would all have to admit that the people that are closest to us, they are the ones that get the worst of us. So when we're, when, when we're upset, they maybe didn't do one thing to us, but when we're upset and hurt, usually those are the people that we pull out the weapons of our words and we lash out at them. Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, he opens wide his lips, comes to ruin. 
So we've all heard it. Talk less, listen more. Your words are not a weapon. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How much less talking would we do if we thought, hey, are are my words going to benefit this person? Is it going to build somebody up? I think a lot of us would be a lot quieter. (laughs) Encouragement is like a shower. We need one every single day. We need encouragement. Encouragement is like, it's like a medicine for for a wounded heart. You know, it's, it, it's, I think when, when someone can, when someone encourages you, it's almost like it can silence the voice of the enemy in your life. You know, you can be thinking something and somebody walks up and encourages you, especially a godly friend walks up and encourages you. It's almost like it just shuts that, that volume button off and you only hear the voice of God in your life. So phrases to memorize, I'm thankful for you. You are an answer to prayer. You are doing a great job. Thank you for noticing that. You are strong. You are beautiful. Those are easy things to say. But I guarantee most of us don't think about those every single day that our spouse needs to hear stuff like that. You know, a lot of us, maybe words of affirmation are not your love language. Words of affirmation are not my love language. Like, our team knows. Like, you come say something nice to me, I'm probably going to be like, okay, thanks. But like, Joey loves, words of affirmation is his number one love language. And because it's not natural, like, because I don't desire it, it's not natural for me to give it to him. So I have to be very intentional to find moments where I, I say encouraging things to him. And so yesterday, you know, it's been a, a hard weekend, and I was in the kitchen, and he comes up to me, and he w- wants to give me a hug. I'm also not a physical touch person either. Those other, other those that you know me, <laughs> I will hug you, but it's, it's not my love language. <laughs> um, but so he came up to give me a hug, and I, and I just gave him a hug, and I said, you know what, thank you for standing by me. And I know that meant the world to him, like just that it was, it was noticed. You know, we all have different things that speak to us differently. So we tend to become what the most important people in, the li- in our life say about us. So think about this. Negative lips will create a negative life. And this, and this is for your, this isn't just for your marriage, this is for your home. So if you're struggling with even just negativity in your home or, or you know, complaining about, even with your kids, like your kids are constantly complaining about each other or they're arguing or there's just always something that just doesn't, you know, it's not godly. Then change the way that you talk to your spouse. Like that controls a lot, like, it, it can change the temperature of your home. Think about it. When, when you and your spouse are arguing, your kids know. They're not, it's, it is affecting them. So when we change the way that we talk to each other, even if there is, because conflict is, is unavoidable. Your kids need to see that there is conflict in the world. But they need to see a godly way to handle conflict. So if, there, so if, you're, if you're tempted to say something really nasty to your spouse in front of your kids, I would... I would do something differently because it is going to it is going to affect your kids and then you're going to wonder why your kids keep calling each other names why your kids can't get along why your kids can't be respectful to each other because they haven't been modeled what it means to have healthy conflict but then to speak life over each other bitter speech will create a bitter spouse 
You think that you can continue to say the negative words of your husband or your wife, and they're not going to become bitter? Like, that's just not reality. It is going to change your relationship, and it's going to change who they are. Words change people. So you can either bring life or you can bring death. Toxic wor words will develop a toxic world. And I see that even, like, even your home. Toxic words will develop a toxic home. So if you want a healthy, happy home, get rid of the toxic words. Get rid of the negative speech. We overcome negative speech by choosing our words wisely. So we choose the right time, we choose the right place, and we choose the right tone. And our words matter, and they are not a weapon. Your words are not a weapon to hurt someone else. If you're hurting, using your words to hurt your spouse is not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. The enemy has convinced you that you're hurting, say something nasty back to them. Even if they didn't do anything to you, be nasty to them. You'll feel better. You might feel better for a moment, but if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, it is going to, that, that feeling better for a moment is going to go very quickly. And instantly the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to come in and you're going to be like, I should not have said that. I just hurt somebody. And now you're having to go do damage control rather than just speaking life from the beginning. Number five, comparison. Comparison is the worst. When you're comparing the reality of your situations, you're comparing the reality of your situation to the behind-scene parts of your story, it's all fake. Like, we all have moments in our life that are not pretty, where there is hurt, and there is pain, and there is trauma, and there is betrayal. But to think that not everybody has experienced that you're comparing, you're like, well, they, they didn't ever have to go through that. They didn't live the life I lived. That they, like, that doesn't do anything for you. Everybody has experienced something to get to where they're at today. So Galatians 6, 4 says, each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. We all have our own load. We all have our own burdens. Yours might look completely different than the person sitting next to you, but you have not been called to compare yourself to them. They are not better than you. They have not been given an easier life than you've been given. Comparison is, is our enemy. Comparison that, comparisons that should be avoided, you can write these down. Compar comparisons with other couples. Like, maybe you're like you're, you say to your, your husband, well, he treats her so good. Why can't you treat me that way? He takes her here. Why can't you? Or, or even this, you know, he, he gets paid this much. Why can't you get a better job? Like, do you understand how damaging that is? Or husbands to your wife, like, you know, she, she always has herself fixed up. She always is having fun. She's such a good mom. Look what she does with her kids. Like, do you understand what that is doing? That is not encouraging that person to behave like that. That's actually discouraging them from who God has even created them to be. That they're not good enough. Comparison with your upbringing, and this is probably something that mostly younger couples are when you're first married, like, you know, well, my mom was a better cook than this. My mom's, my mom's spaghetti is so much better than yours. No, Joey never said that to me, but <laughs> if his mom was here, I'd say something, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we always, like, or like, my, why can't you fix this? My dad used to fix it. You know, like, that's just, we're all, we all were raised differently. That doesn't, that does not encourage anybody. That is not encouraging. Comparison with your spouse, maybe, I, I do more than you do. I get up every night with the kids. I, I change every dirty diaper. 
Why can't you do it for once? Like, that doesn't help anybody. I like in that verse, it says, to, to carry, for each one should carry their own load. And then comparison with your past, maybe you used to be like this. You used to care. You used to take me out. You used to, you know, buy me flowers. You used to listen to me. We used to talk. Like, that just, it, that doesn't help either. So we, over, we overcome comparison by living in gratitude. And, and living in gratitude for the season that God has us in. What, no matter what it looks like. Maybe you are in the season of baby bottles and dirty diapers. And just being grateful that that is the season you're in. You might not be getting a lot of sleep, but this season will pass. And it will, you will be in a new season. You might be in the season where you're empty nesters. And, there's just, and you're kind of in this like limbo of, like we're almost like we're, we're newly married again. Like we don't have anything distracting us from being together. Like you cannot compare your seasons to your season you're in with past seasons or someone else's season that they're in. So we have to be grateful. We have to be thankful for what God has given us. We got to be grateful instead of, instead of griping. We got to be happy instead of always trying to strive and hustle for more. And we've got to be satisfied instead of seeking more. Like be satisfied with God has you in your life. A, a grateful heart will make any situation joyful. You understand that? If you can see, if you can literally look at your life and see the places that God has blessed you and where, he, where you need to show gratitude, it takes away the parts where you're like, where you feel maybe cheated or you feel um, like you didn't get what you deserved. Look at the place, because you have gotten more than you deserved. Do you understand that? Just by being, being accepted into the family of God, you got more than what you deserved. So we should, that's, if you need something to be grateful for, be grateful for that. That your father is a loving God who chose you in spite of everything you've done, he's chose you. So number six is fighting dirty. And we talked about this last week when we talked about conflict. That every good relationship has conflict. But there's a way to do it the right way and there's a way to do it the wrong way. So healthy relationships... Um, all relationships have conflict, but healthy relationships know how to resolve conflict the right way. So signs of unhealthy conflict resolution, because we're all good at the unhealthy part, right? That's just natural. Um, the silent treatment. The silent treatment is a weapon. So if, if that's one of the weapons that you use, I would say you need to disarm the silent treatment. Because it's not helping anybody. Now, separating and spending a couple moments alone where you're processing, you know, how to come back and, and have a healthy conflict resolution, that is fine. But the silent treatment, walking around, slamming doors, not talking to each other, like, it shocks me when, when, when um, couples say they haven't spoke to each other in a week. Like, how do you not talk to your best friend for a week? Like, how can you be that angry that you're, you're, you, can, you don't talk to them for a week? Like, like you're just, it's a weapon. You're punishing them. You're just trying to punish them. Bringing up the past is never healthy. We all have made mistakes. And to be honest with you, you throw the past back at me, I can throw the past right back at you. Like, none of us are blameless. Extreme statements, like always and never. Nobody always does something, and nobody never does something. Now, we might think they always don't do something, and they never do something, but there are moments that they have actually done it. 
So I can't, I can't say Joey always leaves his shoes out because there are moments that he puts them away. Now, very few moments that he puts them away, but <laughs> I, can't say he, I, can't, I can't say he never wipes the, the bathroom sink off when he brushes his teeth because there are moments that he actually does it. You know, and, and we've learned in our marriage, like, yes, you, oh, don't use always and ever, but ask. Like, that's an, another expectation. I got to say, hey, I, I would actually prefer that when you brush your teeth, you would actually wipe the counter off. You don't understand how, how like, diffusing in a situation that is rather than be like, Joey, gosh, you don't wipe the counter off again, and I sat my, you know, my brush down, and it got all wet. Like, rather I say, hey, maybe next time I would prefer that you wipe the counter off. And he'll be like, okay, I'll do it next time. But it's not worth arguing about in that moment. My hairbrush is already wet. He already left the sink wet. Like, just, there's so many ways that we can have healthier conversations. And, and this is a big one. Like, do not involve your families and friends, your family, your in-laws, your siblings. Do not tell them about every little argument you have. You have to be so... You have to use so much discernment with this, okay? Because it is, some of us have a very, it's a tendency to just want to go tell everybody everything that's happened. And you're going to walk back into that scenario, whether you're coming home from work or, you know, you're out or something, and you're probably going to make up. And you're going to apologize, and there's going to be forgiveness, and you're going to move on, and it was no big deal. But you ran to somebody and told them all about it, and probably exaggerated it and made the person sound like, you know, they're evil. And they're, and your friend or your parents or your sibling, they're still sitting in that. They're like, we hate this person. They're awful. And you're like, no, I'm actually, we're good. We have, we've, we forgave each other. And, and so now you got to go do, do damage control with these other people. And you're just, you're bringing in way too many outside voices. Like, and I, I said this last service, my parents are in this service, but my parents live with us. And now Joey and I are very loud people. So there probably are times they know when we're arguing. But we're just loud. We just have very loud voices. <laughs> um, but if we don't ever run to them, I don't like. I don't ever run to them and tell them everything that we're mad about it, at, at each other or complain to, complain about each other to them. Like we, Joey doesn't do it with his mom. Like we, just, I don't run to Joey's mom. I don't be like, hey, you gotta see what I'm gonna tell you. What your son did today. Like she lived her whole life hearing that from people. She doesn't even hear it from me now. <laughs> you gotta tell him I said that one. <laughs> But, so, yeah, just do not invite, invite outside people. He, he's going to maybe regret letting me speak by myself today. Uh, <laughs> James 1.9 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So, honestly, it's just that speak less, listen more. We overcome fighting by fighting dirty, uh, by, by, by taking, the, disarming the weapons, and attacking the problems rather than the people. We don't, oh, we don't have to, our, our words don't have to be a weapon to overcome problems. So here are some examples. Attacking a person would be, you don't care about me. You never listen to me, like, you, you just don't care, do you? Okay, the, attacking the problem would be, hey, can we figure out how to prioritize each other better? That's a, such an easier thing to say, isn't it, and to hear. Attacking a person would be, you're a manipulator. Attacking the problem would be, help me understand why you did that the way you did that, or why you said that the way you said that. Or what was your heart behind it? What, what are you actually feeling when this happens? And, I, and honestly, that's something I probably have just learned, to ask Joey, like, hey, you reacted this way. Can you tell me why, 
like, what were you feeling in that moment? Were you feeling this? Because then I can understand maybe sometimes the response and the reaction. And I don't have to take it personal then. Attacking a person, this would be funny, like, like you, somebody like being like, you can't cook. Like, don't tell your spouse they can't cook. They're probably really trying. Maybe just say, hey, can I order Uber Eats tonight? Can I bless you? So let's say you're married. Let me, get, let me give you a good tip. Because I think Joey would probably say the first, like, year of our marriage, or two years of our marriage, I probably made spaghetti all the time. I was in college. I didn't have time to cook dinner. Like, I made him spaghetti all the time. Now, Joey likes spaghetti. He never offered to go get Uber Eats. He would just be like, seriously? We're having spaghetti again? And so, you know, like, <laughs> that's a funny one. But just, like, if, if you don't like what they're cooking, if they tell you, hey, I'm cooking this, and you're like, thinking, I really don't like that, be like, hey, you know what? I know you've had a long day. Why don't I just bring dinner home tonight? Like, that's so much easier. They don't have to know every, they don't have to know exactly that you don't like it. Sometimes protect each other's feelings when it doesn't need to be said. You know, we don't, you don't, not everything that's in your brain has to come out of your mouth. Do you understand? <laughs> like, I, I have to teach my, like, Liam's are like, Liam, not everything that comes to your mind has to come out of your mouth. Like, we have to prep him sometimes when we're walking into places. He'll be like, I don't do that, guys. And we all look at him like, yes, you do. Everything that comes, and I, Joey's your pastor. You guys know everything that can, his brain comes out of his mouth, too, so. <laughs> but sometimes not everything, not everything has to be said. It's not always for other people's benefit. And number seven, this is our last one, and this really goes with our first week where we talked about pursuing your two. But number seven is putting each other first. And I know you're thinking, well, why shouldn't we put each other? But that's idolatry. When you put your spouse before God, you're now idolizing your spouse. And what you're saying is you're going to provide for me what actually what God needs to provide for me. So you're going to make me happy. You're going to help me. You're going to give me purpose. You're going to make me feel fulfilled. You're going to give me peace. You're going to make me feel safe. You're going to make me feel secure, which are all great things in a marriage, but your spouse is not ultimately the one who gives that to you. They don't complete you. They complement that. So instead of relying on them to be, be God in your life, follow the God of your life and allow your spouse to complement you through that. Be on the same page and allow them to complement Allow them to compliment you. You know, when God is first, the rest is blessed. And we see that all throughout Scripture. When we put God first, he will bless the rest. He does it with our finances. He does it with our time. He'll do it with our families. He'll do it with our gifts. Um, Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God. So God is first. Our spouse is second. And the benefit of putting God first in my relationship is that God will actually be in my relationship. If God's not in it, it just won't work. So write this down. We overcome idolatry by prioritizing our personal relationship with Christ. And I think that that is so key. Like, and I think a lot, of, a lot of us have to grow into that in a marriage. We have to grow into the, like, I've got to, like, this person is not my number one. Like, a lot of us never started our marriages with that mindset. That God has got to be number one in our, in our lives in order for our marriage to be healthy. You have to understand what God has done for you because you're going to have to do a lot of that for the person in your life. Do you understand? Like for, for your spouse, you're going to have to have a lot of grace and you're going to have to have a lot of forgiveness and you're going to have to have a lot of patience. But God has already done that for you. Like he's already, he's already given you that gift so that you can give it to others. So as I build my personal relationship with God, I now have the resources 
and power to better pour into my relationship. Like I said, if you, if you, if you take a step, if you say, God, we want a healthy marriage, we're going to take a step. God's like, all right, I'm going to take a step too. We're going to do this together. And he will show up and the rest will be blessed. So let's talk, I'm going to go over the seven things one more time. And I want you, if you didn't write them down, to, to either process them or write them down and really do some introspective look into your marriage. Like what do you really need to focus on? What needs to be, what needs to be um, killed in your, it, it, of those seven that it's a, no longer is killing your relationship? So number one is selfishness. Are you going to be selfish or are you going to be selfless? Do you have unrealistic expectations? Are you living a life of secrecy? Do you have a temptation that needs to be confessed before it becomes um, a sin? Or if, you're, if you do have a sin, confess it. Get the help you need. Do you need to get rid of negative speech? Create a healthier, non-toxic world in your life. Do you need to stop comparing to others? to the world, to each other, to past. You need to stop fighting dirty. Put down your weapons. Put down your weapons of your word. Stop fighting dirty. Or do you need to put, um, you need to stop putting each other first and not putting God first. It's like, are you struggling with putting God first above your spouse? So as we talk about those seven, I want you to think which one or ones, which if you, you could have multiple, but most of us probably do have multiple, do you need to work on to make your relationship all that God has created it to be? God has a plan and he's given us the steps in order to live out the plan that he has for our, our marriages. But we can't do it on our own. We can't just, we can't just think, you know, the path that we're on is, is because it feels good. Like God has a specific plan on how we, marriages are supposed to look. So here are some steps that you can take today to build a healthier marriage. Because again, that's what we talk, like we gotta take a step. Like the end of our service is for you to take a step. The end of our service is for you to respond. Like if you come to services every Sunday and there's you're not responding to the word that God is, is giving, like you need to examine your heart. What, where do you need to respond? Like I said, if you'll just take a step, sometimes the step is the miracle. And then all these little miracles happen afterwards. But sometimes you have to just take a step. So do you, do you need to confess today? Do you need to pull your spouse aside and confess something? Do you need to pursue counseling? Maybe there is a, a, a sin that one of you is sitting in and you confess it, but then you got to go get counseling. There are a lot of sins that we're sitting in that really we were not designed to overcome without the help of others. And I'm talking about a godly counselor. A godly counselor that brings God into the mix of it. Do you need to just come to the couples one day and meet other people and stop trying to do marriage, just you two? Like meet other people that can encourage you and that can challenge you, that can be your friends, that can help you on this journey of raising your children. We all need community. We need relationships. We need to surround ourselves with the right people that can encourage and challenge us to be better. And if you don't have people in your life like that, we will help you find those people. Like you need them. You cannot do this alone. So my prayer for you today is that after these three weeks, I know that like there's been some lot, a lot of funny parts of it and just, you know, but a lot of honest parts. And honestly, Joey and I's marriage has not always been perfect. We've been married for almost 22 years this year. And there are a lot of moments that I think, wow, like if God wouldn't have showed up, we still wouldn't be together. 
But we have, like, we know that God has given us a greater purpose. That giving up or, or living in our past or our sin or our regrets or our shame is just not what God's called us to do. So I, my prayer for you today is that if that's where you're sitting in your marriage, like God has a greater plan for you. He has a plan for you to create a legacy of godliness throughout the generations of your family. He has, he has a plan for you to raise healthy, godly children who marry into a, have a healthy, godly marriage, who then have healthy, godly children. And just this cycle of just a legacy that is pursuing God, that's being a light to the world. Like that is what God has called you to. Your marriage has a greater purpose than what you think. It's not just for your own happiness. Do you understand that God gave us, he didn't give it marriage just for ourselves. He gave it to us to model Christ's love for the church. Okay, so it is a gift and we need to, tre we need to treasure it and, and treat it as a gift. Let's pray, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that um, your word challenges and convicts us. That there's, there's not a verse that we can read that, that if we position our hearts correctly, that you are not going to challenge us or convict us that we need to, we need to do it better or we need to, to re-examine our thought or our, our perspective on it, Lord. So as we wrap up the series, you know, our desire, Lord, we know that marriages um, are such a foundational part of your kingdom and, and the world. And you've created it as a gift that you have given to each of us. That it's not something we take for granted or we just think about it flippantly. Like it is a responsibility that you have given us to nurture and to cultivate this marriage. It is going to benefit more people than just ourselves if we have a healthy marriage. So Lord, I pray that today that, that we would respond that each of us would respond in a way that our hearts would be just so open and submitted to you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would lead us, that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be open, that our minds would be so clear that we can hear exactly what you're saying to us in this moment. You do not, you do, your plan is not that we come here, we sit, we get filled up and we just go home. Your plan is that we come here, we worship, we digest and, and get what you gave us, and then we respond. So Lord, I just, I pray that our hearts would be changed. Through our hearts being changed, our marriages would be changed, our marriages being changed, our homes would be changed. And it will just keep, it. It'll, there will be a trickle effect into our communities, into our cities, into our world, Lord. But we've got to get marriage right. We've got to, it, 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 is, it is the number one thing that you call us to get right, Lord. We've got to get it right. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you that your word, it is so moving. Your word is so powerful. We love you in your name. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together in honor? It's April this morning.